Welcome to another episode of Beyond Risk and Back. Thank you for joining me. Parents, teachers, clinicians, anyone who's here to find another way to support the teenager who's struggling. These kids we love so much and are just watching suffer and tumble through the times. Uh, man, has this pandemic been a doozy. And unfortunately, kids being home, we thought maybe would drive drug use down. It hasn't. It's it's not better. It's worse. And so much of the work that I've done my whole life, the the the, the this podcast, the Parenting Teens That Struggle Facebook page, the treatment center, where I began with this work was being a teen sober coach. Well, it just so happens that on the show today, I have Richard Capriolo, who's one of the big, big players in this mental health and addiction industry and has written a book called The Addicted Child, A Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Abuse. Uh, Richard and I found each other on a great application called Podmatch. It's it's a way for, for me to find guests, for me to get on other people's show. And man, when I read Richard's bio i had to have this guy on beyond risk and back and he gracefully said yes because he has written a few books on addiction and adolescence and i know my parents want to hear what richard capriola has to say parents thank you for joining me on beyond risk and back remember to listen like subscribe and share this show with your friends especially your friends who need the help and support of guests like Richard. Richard, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Aaron. Thank you so much for inviting me to the program to talk about this uh, this important issue. Uh, I, hope, uh, I hope your listeners find it uh, helpful and I appreciate you taking the time. I know they will. Thank you for being a guest. Uh, you've been in the industry a while. You were an educator before that. Richard, let's set the stage for the parents on who they're listening to how, who are you and how did you get to where you are now? <laughs> well, as you said, I had a long history of being involved in education. I worked for the State Board of Education in Illinois for uh, over uh, 30 years. Uh, as I transitioned out of that career, I moved into the mental health field uh, and then uh, and then into the uh, substance abuse counseling field and worked at a regional mental health crisis center in central Illinois for a number of years uh, until I was offered a position at Menninger Clinic in Houston, Texas. Menninger uh, Clinic is a large psychiatric hospital uh, that serves both adolescents and adults. And I was hired to be an addictions counselor working with both adolescents and adults. And I worked for Menninger for over a decade. And as I retired from, from there, I set about to write this resource for parents because so many times I would meet with parents and I would go through their child's history of using a substance and give them the diagnosis of a substance use disorder. And they would look at me and they would say, I had no idea this was going on. Or if they did suspect their child was using a substance, they would say uh, something like, well, I knew something was going on, but I didn't know it was this bad. So these were good parents. These were good people. Uh, they didn't know the warning signs because nobody told them what the warning signs were to look for. So I set about to write this book. It's a very short, concise book, only runs about 100 pages. But 
it's packed with information that I hope parents will find helpful and useful. It, it has a review of street drugs so that parents know what these drugs are that are out there. It has an explanation of how drugs work in the teen brain so that you can see how these drugs are influencing your child's behavior. Um, it has a, a section on what assessments you should get if you suspect your child is using a substance because you need much more than just an addictions assessment. And then it's packed with resources and information like how do I find a treatment program? What is a good treatment program? What are the different options for treatment? So it's all packed into a book that, uh, that I say is uh, not very long because I know parents don't have a lot of time to read <laughs> volumes of material. Uh, so I wanted to keep it concise. Um, it's available on Amazon. If you like to read on a Kindle, you can get it for 99 cents. Um, wow. You can get the paperback for about $10. Okay, there's a workbook as well. There is a workbook because parents need help too. It's not just the child, parents need help. So this is a very short workbook, has a number of exercises in it that parents can complete, uh, has an exercise on, on how, to, how to deal with feelings of anxiety. And it has some tips on how to communicate with your child. You know, we're pretty good, um, Aaron, at, 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 at listening to each other's words. Sure. So that when we're talking to our child, we're, we're, we're pretty good at hearing the words, but sometimes we're not so good at listening to the feelings that are behind those words. So I have some exercises that help parents really focus on, in on listening to your child's feelings, not just their words. Let's, let's get some basic questions that I know all parents have. I've been asked them, you've been, you've been asked them. So yeah. my guests who are listening to the show most likely want to ask them. So let's you and I get some basic questions out of the way. In your opinion, okay. working in the industry with adolescents, as long as you have some of the basic questions, does a teen have to hit rock bottom? Let's just start with that one. No, they don't have to hit rock bottom. Hopefully they won't hit rock bottom. We'll intervene and, and we'll catch this in the earlier stages. Um, like, like any other uh, behavior, you want to catch it early. The earlier you catch it, the earlier you can intervene, the earlier you can provide treatment and the, and, and, and the earlier you can uh, see success and recovery. So no, you, you want to catch this early on. And that's why it's so important for parents to pay attention to the warning signs. Well, let's talk about those warning signs then. And after this conversation uh, about warning signs, I know, you know, we, we might, might lead us into a certain topic, but Richard, just know I have about 13 questions in my head that are just out <laughs> of left field that again, I know you've been asked right. many times. Uh, and so let's, let's go through the basics. I want parents yeah. to have these answers reinforced again and again and again until they go, okay, all the experts are agreeing or at least having a, a logical disagreements that I can choose from. So what are the warning signs? You've talked about that twice now. What are the things that you want parents to go, oh, this is happening. That's a, that's a yellow flag. There's my red flag. I think it's really important every parent know what the warning signs are so that you can recognize certain behaviors when they appear. Uh, my book has warning signs on a child that might be using marijuana, has warning signs uh, for alcohol use, has warning signs for a child that might be developing an eating disorder or who might be self-harming themselves because sometimes self-injury and eating disorders accompany a child using a substance. So parents sure. need to know what those warning signs are too. So, you know, take a look at the book see what the warning signs are, 
be prepared. Um, but as a general rule, as a general rule, what I suggest to parents is pay attention to the changes that you see in your child. You know your child better than anyone. Pay attention to the changes that you see in your child. Don't assume that the changes you're seeing are just normal adolescent acting out behaviors. They might very well be that, but they also might be an indicator that there's something else going on underneath the surface. The more of these changes that you see and the longer that these changes go on, the more likely that there is something going on underneath the surfaces. So for example, you may have a child whose grades are declining. Uh, you may have a child who used to enjoy participating in sports, no longer wants to participate in sports. You may have a child who was very outgoing and talkative, now becomes very quiet and secretive. You may have a child who openly introduced you to their friends. You knew who their friends were. You might've even known who their family members were now becomes very secretive of who their friends are. So these are some examples of changes that you see in your child. Be aware of these changes. See how many of them there are and how long they last and, and, and recognize that some of them might just be teenage acting out behaviors. Okay. Uh, but some of them might be an indicator that there's an underlying issue that you need to be involved in. So pay attention to the changes you see in your child. So let's say you see some of these changes. My next question is, as, a, as the parent brain and the parent questions are screaming in my head, do I search their room? I, I un, un, unless you believe that there is something of, of, of imminent danger in their room uh, that might be very harmful for them, um, I, I wouldn't recommend that you change that you search their room looking for marijuana or, or alcohol. Um, I, I would recommend that if you are concerned that the first thing you do is have a discussion with your child about it. Sit down explain your concern. Now, you don't, not, you don't want to accuse them of anything. You don't want to threaten them, but approach it from just a curiosity point of view. I'm seeing these behaviors. Can you help me understand why I'm seeing them? Express your concern, express your feelings, and see what kind of a response that you get from your child. You might, you might get no, nothing, or you might actually learn some things. But, but I think when you start to search a child's room unless you have a really good reason for doing it you run the risk of 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 of, of hurting that that trust uh from that child when you do discover something whether on a search whether doing laundry whether you find a lighter in the bathroom and open the drawer in in the bathroom sink and there's their old uh pencil box from elementary school and you open that up and sure enough there's some pills you don't recognize there's a bag of cannabis that you do recognize what then what's your first step on upon discovery that your child is using and you were you're worried that they might have a problem i would suggest that you begin by having a, a discussion with your child uh you know again not to accuse them of anything not to threaten of, of anything but just to express what you've observed how you're feeling about it it's okay to tell your child you're you're scared that you're afraid um, but but i think you want to approach it from i i i i'm i'm seeing these behaviors i'm finding these things in your room can you help me understand what's going on now 
that's likely to be a discussion that's going to go one of two ways. It's either going to blow up and it's going to become very argumentative and the kid will become defensive or it might go the other way and, and you actually learn some information perhaps as to why your child might be using a substance. You may learn, for example, that the child is struggling with anxiety or struggling with some type of behaviors at school. But regardless of how that discussion goes, if you are concerned your child is using a substance, you need to move to the next stage, which is to get an assessment or a series of assessments done from professionals so that you can get diagnoses done. You can decide, you can discover whether there's an underlying issue that might be driving your child to using a substance and you can get a treatment plan in place and then move forward with recommendations. Does that uh, assessment with professionals include drug testing in your opinion, uh, performed by the parents or parents taking the kid to a lab? No, I think the first thing is to is is to get the series of assessments done that I recommend in my book. Okay, uh, and and it involves more than just an addictions assessment. Certainly, you'll need an addictions assessment because that's going to tell you the substances your child has been using, how long they've been using those substances, and how extensive the use is, and what kind of a diagnosis do you have. We we diagnose people as as having a substance use disorder that can range from mild to moderate to severe. So you need to know what category your child is in. But you, but you need more than just an addictions assessment. You'll need a, a, a psychological or a neuropsychological assessment to examine whether there's underlying issues that might be driving your child to using a substance. Issues such as depression, issues like anxiety, issues like being bullied uh, at school that you may not have known about. Um, the large number of teenagers that I worked with at Menninger who were smoking marijuana, when I asked them to help me understand why they were smoking so much marijuana, the number one answer that came back was, it helps me with my anxiety. Sure. So, so you need to have these psychological and neuropsychological assessments done. Um, and you also need a good comprehensive physical examination to rule out any physical things that might be contributing to the behaviors you're seeing. So you put all these comprehensive assessments from professionals together, and then you get a comprehensive diagnosis and recommendations on how to move forward and what kind of treatment, if any, is needed. You and I are going to jump forward to the type of kids you and I have worked with in, in the decades of our of our time in the trenches with adolescents in recovery and mental health and behavioral issues. Uh, okay. But before we jump into the kids that a lot of the parents listen to this show uh, actually have, which is beyond what we're talking about, right? I just wanted to get the basic questions out of the way, but you and I have both worked with kids who've they've OD'd three times. They've tried suicide twice. The anxiety is off the charts to the point they haven't gone to school in six months. So those are a lot of the moms and dads who listen to this show. So we're going to up, up level our conversation here a little bit, but in doing that, the stairs I want to take towards that conversation is Richard, when do you tell a parent the, the, the they've kid has crossed the line from experimentation into use and from use into abuse and even from abuse into dependency. Where, where, how do you personally assess? Yeah, no, they're being a teenager. They've, they've, you know, smoked some dope a couple of times and, uh, eh, that's one thing, but 
you know, you and I and, and our industry is very fond of saying whatever the parent knows, multiply it by three. That's more likely what's taking place. But how does a parent know if it's just experimentation or if we're looking at abuse? Well, that's where the parent needs to rely on the professionals and the professional assessments from people like yourself and myself who uh, have the capability, the education, the training and the experience to be able to sit down with a teenager, work with that teenager and get a comprehensive and accurate assessment as to what's going on with the child. We then can give the parent the information they need and the guidance they need to move forward because this can be a very very complicated issue um, and 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 where the child falls on the continuum of you know experimental use versus moderate versus versus mild or severe all gets back to the formal assessment that's being done um, you know parents tend to very quickly become frightened of this issue um, and they may look at a, at any use as being extreme but the professionals are 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 able to sort through all of the details and give the parent an accurate diagnosis that places their child in an appropriate uh, level of use. The child might be just experimenting, uh, in which case that will lead to one set of recommendations. Or the child may be heavily involved into drugs. That will lead to a different set of recommendations. So I guess the short answer to your question is parents need to rely on the professionals to do the assessment, gather the information, and give them the recommendations for uh, not only what the uh, diagnosis is, but what the treatment options are as well. We have a lot of kids nowadays who are heavily medicated and they are to the point where they're taking medications to counter the side effects of other medications they're using. And that's often a, as, as you said earlier, uh, a solution that psychiatrists, uh, doctors find to the problems of the side effects of other medications in the same sense that children are using cannabis as a solution to anxiety, a solution to depression, a solution to loneliness, a solution. So there's a, it being cannabis being uh, as popular it is and existing in such a permissive culture that we're seeing. And Richard, you and I both know it's not going away. It's going to become more accessible. It's going to become more mainstream. It's going to become more. Is cannabis dangerous for children? That's an interesting question because um, marijuana and alcohol are still two of the most widely used substances among adolescents. Right. Uh, we are seeing in the last three years an explosion uh, in the area of vaping. Sure. Uh, you know, we have seen tremendous increases in kids who are vaping marijuana and vaping nicotine. Uh, it is dramatically increasing. Um, but I would also say that what is driving uh, the substance use are two other issues. Uh, one is the availability of substances. These teenagers know that these substances are readily available. Anywhere. You can get it anywhere. Absolutely. And when we ask uh, high school seniors, how easy is it for you to get marijuana? You know, almost 80% of them tell us it's very easy to find if they want it. You know, 
know, uh, no, almost 80% say alcohol is easy to get to. So availability, the drugs and the substances are out there and the kids know it. But the other issue is harmfulness. Kids do not see these substances as being very harmful. When we ask high school right. seniors, how danger, how harmful do you think it is to regularly smoke marijuana? Only 30% of seniors, high school seniors, tell us they think it's harmful. Right. So you combine the availability, the, uh, the availability of these substances, the low perception of harm, and you have a perfect environment for what we're seeing that's out there. And so now you got your kid who's telling you uh, you've caught it, you've had the assessments, you've done the um, you've done the work, your kid has been, you know, drug tested and psychologically tested, you're getting some results back, you're seeing some ADHD, um, you're seeing some anxiety, depression, things come down the pipe, you've been offered some meds for your child. And the 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 use of cannabis, the use of other drugs. They they've taken some ecstasy. They've tried fentanyl. Um, they're you know they've done LSD. You found some shrooms in their room. We're two three years deep into now a struggle with with our teens and this stuff. And and by that I mean as a parent, when we follow these things and we get into almost that daily battle, we have a good week, then there's a bad week. Sometimes the bad weeks are because they're high. Sometimes the bad weeks are because they can't get high and can't get their hands on anything. How, not how, because how is such a big word. What is your number one piece of advice for navigating this constant conversation of a child who keeps telling you it's not that big of the deal. Now on the outside, they're, they're failing classes. They're not playing sports anymore. Different set of friends. They've been in trouble with the law. They have an MIP or two, but they keep, it's not that big of a deal. And the consequences don't matter anymore. These are the parents that are listening to this show. I know I got parents listening, nodding their heads. What now? Well, first of all, I would say it's not just the child that needs help. The parents need help and support as well. So my advice is if you're struggling with uh, your child who's using a substance and you're getting into these kinds of push and pull and, and, and these arguments, um, get some support get some help. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a close friend. Maybe it's a professional counselor. But you as a parent need support as well. Your child is going through a difficult time, but the entire family is going through a difficult time. And you as a parent already know this because you're, you're, you're facing the fears. You're facing the struggle. You're, you're facing the anxiety. Uh, it is a constant battle and a constant struggle. So you need support and help for yourself. And there's a lot of resources out there for parents. So my advice is take advantage of them and get some support. Beyond Risk and Back was created as a way in the very beginning to just share the experts that I was meeting at these conferences uh, and these these events that we were going to, these industry events, these networking events, these people introducing their new sober homes or some big brain gets up on stage and says, hey, we all got to be trauma informed, you know, and and I would meet these guys as we had our Fire Mountain Residential Treatment Center booth and 
listen to what they say. And it was great that we were all in these rooms every couple of months together learning from each other. But it was the parents who needed this information. And at every single one of these events, there were professionals. You know, some of them were parents, but these were professionals in the industry of recovery, addiction, mental health, and behavioral health. And it was the parents that need this information. So I started interviewing these people and posting that up on our website. And it became Beyond Risk and Back because as Richard was saying, this is how we give you the exact same information we get. When you're working in treatment and going to these events and listening to these big brains, you're getting the latest and greatest opinions, information, data, research, and support. So Beyond Risk and Back is a way to get that into your hands and not just keep it amongst the professionals who get to charge you for it. So in that flavor, along those lines, I've created uh, Parenting Teens That Struggle. It's a free Facebook group and it's a secret group. Answer a couple questions and I let you in. I'm the moderator and I read everything that goes on there. I okay anybody's post and I delete anybody who's out there trying to pitch something because I want you to have as much support as possible. What Richard said is the essence and the core of why we founded, my wife and I founded Fire Mountain Residential Treatment Center is because you can't just treat the child. You have to treat the whole family. And anybody in this industry knows this. This is information we all agree on. You have to treat the whole family. The whole family has to go into recovery. So please share this podcast. Give it a like. Give it a review on iTunes, please. It really does help other parents who are looking for this find it. Share it with someone. Post it on your Facebook page. And then get your butts over to Parenting Teens That Struggle. It's another place with over 1,200 parents just like you, helping each other, giving advice, saying what works, what didn't work, and loving you up. Because I know you're struggling. We know it. I'll see you over on Parenting Teens That Struggle. Let's get back to Richard. All right, Richard. So we're in this. How do you know when it's time for your kid to go to treatment? What's where, where's your cutoff as a parent? Because look, the professionals, they're going to have differing opinions. You know, you, you might think someone needs to go sooner than I do or vice vice versa, but there is, and I also do want to say for the record, uh, parent, dads tend to hold on longer to put their daughters in treatment while they're ready to pitch their sons over the fence right into a treatment program pretty dang quickly. But what's your advice to parents when, if they go, do I need a program? What do you say? Well, first of all, let me get back to what you had said earlier about how the family, we were talking about how the family's affected. Yeah, and support and recovery. An, such, a, such an important issue. You know, um, you know, addiction is a family disease. Uh, one person may use a substance, but the whole family really suffers. Yeah. Uh, and it's important that, that, you know, parents get the support that they need. So when do you know it's time for treatment? You know, how do you know? Because um, this is this is one of the things in your book, right? You talk about this in the book. 
Well, I talk about the need for these comprehensive assessments and the need because all of these comprehensive assessments give you a the big picture, not just on substance use, but the big picture, because you need to know if there's underlying issues that might might be driving your child to use a substance, because that's important to know. Um, If you have a child who is um, using a substance to medicate an underlying issue, you know, um, uh, maybe it's anxiety, maybe it's, uh, maybe it's depression, maybe it's trauma. I found I treated a lot of kids who, who had those underlying issues. You can't just treat the substance use. You have to treat the underlying issue. So you need a program that recognizes not only the substance use, but is capable of dealing with the underlying issue, say anxiety or say trauma. Um, you know, I worked with a number of uh, teenagers who um, had experienced trauma in their life, you know, and, and were using substances to medicate that trauma, or maybe they were self-injuring themselves to, to deal with that pain. Sending them to just a, a place that's going to deal just with the marijuana and ignores the trauma is is not going to work. Right. We need a comprehensive approach. And that's where these assessments are so important. The assessments lead to a treatment plan. The treatment plan guides you in terms of the options. There is no one treatment that fits every kid. Uh, you know, each individual treatment um, treatment plan gives advice to the parent on what's next? What kind of program should I send my child to? Is it an outpatient program? Is it an intensive outpatient program? Or is it a residential program? You know, kids who go to residential programs tend to have severe substance use disorders and oftentimes have underlying mental health issues like anxiety or depression or self-injury or an eating disorder. So, you know, parents need to rely for on the professionals for guidance in terms of the diagnosis and the treatment plan and the recommendations on what kind of treatment is best for this child. Is 28 days enough? No, no, it's not. Um, It it may be for some kids, okay, but the research tells us that when you have a, a severe substance use disorder, um, the best outcomes tend to be after 90 days of treatment. Now, 30 days of treatment will work for some kids, you know, you know, probably some kids who are in the mild category, maybe they're experimenting and you want to get on top of it quickly. Um, but those kids uh, might go to a, ni- a 30 day program. They might do well in an outpatient program too, where they see somebody, you know, once or twice a week or in an intensive outpatient program. But generally, if you have a child who has a severe underlying mental health issue like anxiety or depression or is developed developing some other mental health issue, as well as the substance abuse, you're more likely looking at a residential program to give a comprehensive treatment approach. Richard, this is, you know, when we're, we're dealing with treatment um, and, and residential programs, you having worked at one as long as you have me owning one, uh, as long as I have, I think we can, from our hearts, uh, say residential care, RTC level care is expensive mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, and of course, financially, it's hard on a family to get there. 
if you find yourself without the resources, what are some things you can do to try to bring this kid back from this, this shadow experience, this, this, you know, journey to the end of the road of addiction, which those of us who have worked the 12 step programs, we always say addiction ends in jails, institutions, and death. Richard, you and I both work in an institution. I mean, that's, that's what we were, but if you cannot afford one, what do you do? How do you, how do you help a family? Who's just like, I, we just don't have the money to send our kid away for 90 days. So many families fall in that category oh, of course of, of, of where they they desperately want to have help for their child. Um, their child has developed uh, uh, behavioral issues, substance abuse issues. They're desperately looking for some help. Um, they, they cannot afford to send their child to a residential treatment program. They may not even be able to afford an intensive outpatient program locally right. because unfortunately these programs tend to be expensive uh, insurance companies have not caught up yet with the idea that this is uh, this is something that needs to be uh, treated and oh i, th I think they've caught up with the idea of it i think that they're going to drag their feet as long as they can on paying for it yeah, that's what I mean. They, they, they're, they're, they're not up to speed on coming forth with the dollars to help oh, these parents man. who desperately need Don't help. Don't I know it. So, so what, is a, what, what does a family do in that situation? I think you have to avail yourself of the community resources that are available. You have, in, in many cases, a school counselor or a school social worker that might be able to give you some guidance and may be able to start some intervention and, and and counseling. You have a local mental health uh, a society, NAMI, for example, right. uh, that offers not only support for the, the children, but critical support and help for the families of people as well. So I would encourage any parent, if you can't afford the residential treatment, if it's recommended. Now, now not every kid is, is going to need residential treatment. Of course. But regardless of whether the child needs residential treatment or outpatient treatment, to, you know, if, if money becomes an issue, look at the community resources that are available. Go to your mental health association, go to your school, go to your counselors and see what services you can put together uh, because there is help out there. Does therapy work for addiction? Yes, it works. Uh, assuming um, the, the, the person is motivated to want to get to it, you know, you probably uh, have, have, have seen as well as I have that just about every kid that came into Menninger Clinic uh, was in the pre-contemplation stage right. of change. <laughs> you know, they, they came in fighting tooth and nail against their parents. They were begging, they were pleading, they were, they were arguing. Richard, I gotta, I gotta stop you right there. Do you remember? And I know, cause I know you guys have experienced this. Every kid in residential programming, the first phone, call home. I bet you and I could pretty much go through the script of what they told their parents. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty much a standard standard yeah. routine. But, yes. but they would come in and they would be fighting and screaming and they would be angry and bargaining. And to the credits of the parents, yes, always. the parents held the line and said, no, you're going in there. See you later. They dropped them off. They said, see you later. You know, I even had some parents who said, 
don't call me okay. <laughs> uh, because it got to that point. But what I noticed was after a few days, maybe a week or so, and they got involved in the programming and the treating treatment and they met the staff and the counselors and the all of everybody trying to help them. After a week or so, their anger sort of subsided. They right. got into the program. And then by the time they were ready to leave, it was a completely different situation. So the answer is yes, treatment works. Treatment does work. It is effective. Do you have any opinions about wilderness uh, 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 wilderness therapy as an intervention treatment programming? Uh, it's been in the news a lot lately. Paris Hilton has been talking a lot about. Um, and then we'll, I'll ask about this one after, or if you, yeah, it, it's, it's just her experience in wilderness. Uh, she's, she's demonized it. But I'm curious about your opinion around wilderness treatment. When I was at Menninger Clinic working on the adolescent unit, um, a number of the kids that we worked with were referred to a wilderness program. Yeah. Uh, or we would refer the parents to an education consultant. And I talk about education consultants in my book because they really can provide a valuable resource to families in terms of matching the kid with the program. They very but, much so. And they're not cheap. I mean, they're, they're, not, they're, they're invaluable and they are worth, uh, sometimes they're worth every penny, but there's a lot of pennies. Yeah, there's a lot. They, 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 they tend to be expensive. You're yes. right. Um, but these wilderness programs were, seem to be appropriate for young men and young women who were resistant to treatment. Yeah. Um, they just were opposed to treatment. They drew the line down. They just absolutely were oppositional to it. Uh, so in those cases, we would refer them to uh, a wilderness program or recommend parents look into wilderness programs um, as a way of preparing that child for treatment. I think that's the goal of the wilderness program is to move that child from the pre-contemplation stage, the denial chase, chase, uh, stage, the resistance change uh, stage, into a mindset of at least being open to treatment. Right. And, and that's a huge change. You know, anytime we go from the pre-contemplation to the de and denial to the contemplation stage is a huge change. Um, so I think, I think the benefit of wilderness program is that for some children, it can be a, uh, it can be the first step towards treatment. Transport. One of my last questions, transport for a, an adolescent, yay or nay? Depends on the kid. I've had kids uh, who uh, who their parents have hired uh, professional transports to get them to Menninger Clinic uh, for a number of reasons. And again, you know, that's not a cheap way to it's go. Not a it's cheap way to go. It, it's expensive. But if you are afraid that your child is a flight risk or a danger to himself, or you just don't want to hassle with bringing the kid to a place they don't want to go, um, a lot of parents, uh, some parents have, have used an escort to safely get their kid from point a to point b all right we're coming around i got one last question but before we get to it i want to make sure we have an opportunity for every listener to get your your book your workbook your your website facebook let's get let's give them the digits richard how are people going to find you and date you <laughs> the, the easiest way is to go to the book's website. And the website is www.helptheaddictedchild.com. Help the addicted child. 
www.thebookmarketingbook.com. And on the website, you'll be able to read book reviews, endorsements. You can read a sample chapter. Um, there is a, a link uh, that will take you directly to Amazon where you can purchase either the uh, Kindle version or the paperback version uh, of the book. Uh, or you can uh, also uh, purchase the uh, parent workbook, which is a paperback because it's a workbook. Uh, there's also a link where if they want, they can send me a comment or a question um, and, uh, and contact me through, through that. Um, um, so the easiest way is to go to helptheaddictedchild.com. Yeah, on Facebook, you got any social media handles out there? I've got uh, a Facebook account. I've got a Twitter account. Uh, the Facebook, I think, is just uh, Richard Capriola, my name. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm out there. Richard, uh, my, my final question around all this for you is essentially, what's your number one bit of advice for parents who are going through the day-in, day-out grind and struggle of watching their child get worse? Don't give up hope. Um, you know, don't don't give up hope that you and your child and your family can can get through this struggle. That there that that treatment does work. Treatment does work, and that your child and your family can recover from this. Um, you know, get the help and the assistance that you need, get the assessments uh, that I recommended in my book, um, and just have faith that you and your family can get through this because treatment does work. My guest today was Richard Capriola, uh, Richard's book. Go get it, folks. If you got Kindle 99 cents, you got to listen to what this what this guy has to say. Get his workbook, get these resources that he's putting out there. Thank you for joining me on another episode of Beyond Risk and Back. My big thanks to Deepin Productions for helping me produce this podcast and creating the music. My thanks to D, uh, uh, your cause consulting for making sure that this show is getting in front of all the people who need the show and are looking for this show. Uh, your cause consulting has helped many parents find support for their families and deep in productions makes me sound good. So my thanks to both those organizations, parents go to brabapp.com, B R A B A P P.com. 56 classes, my parenting classes, 20 plus years of parenting advice, coaching, and training on how to work with these kids who are struggling, how to get them back. Brabapp.com. That app is $37, folks. I want everybody to have the support. Get over to my Facebook page, Parenting Teens That Struggle. And as always, thank you for listening, liking, subscribing, and sharing beyond risk and back with your friends and family. Parents, take care of yourselves first, your adult relationships second, and your children third, because that's how you're going to do your best work with your children. My thanks to Richard. I'll see you next time, folks.